I invite you to turn with me to John 16, verses 12 to 15. Just a little section today of John 16. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it has begun. Synod, that is. The annual gathering of delegates from across the Christian Reformed Church in North America. They've been gathered in Grand Rapids since Friday, and they will be deliberating through most of this week. Our own Sally Larson is there as a representative of Hope Church and classes Chicago South. And tomorrow evening, Lord willing, Dr. Yuda Tianto will be approved as a new member of the faculty at Calvin Theological Seminary. This year's synod feels particularly weighty. With the last two years canceled due to COVID, this year's gathering has an oversized agenda, dominated, of course, by the Human Sexuality Report. There is much division and diversity of opinion over that report and the recommendations that it makes to the denomination. Some laud the report and affirm its conservative position on human sexuality. They long to stay faithful to scripture and tradition and to the historical position of the Christian Reformed Church. Some would rather see the Christian Reformed Church take a more affirming stance towards our LGBT brothers and sisters. They long to show Christian love and hospitality to friend and family and stranger. Some worry what might happen to CRC pastors, elders, teachers, and institutions if the denomination formally takes a stand on one side and requires its leaders and employees to agree. Some worry that a church split is looming. Some of you have participated in listening groups here at Hope, opportunities to hear one another's hearts and thoughts and stories. Long overdue opportunities, perhaps, to talk about topics that are deeply human and deeply important. Those of us who are generally conflict-averse would perhaps prefer to just keep talking and listening 
Appoint another study committee. Host more conversation circles. Keep dancing with the other until some kind of consensus emerges. But as Laura DeYoung, we've quoted here, here before, wrote in a piece last week, it is likely that there are going to be some very loud voices at Synod who will be very clear that there's only one way forward, and it's theirs. Plus, she points out, eventually we are going to have to figure out where we stand on these things. Churches will have to decide what their level of welcome and inclusion for the LGBT community will look like. We can't just keep talking. So it is likely that decisions will be made this week. To those decision makers, hope has sent our overture about protecting spaces and congregations like ours where multiple viewpoints can coexist, as Roz put it, in a pond of grace. Because that's who we are. And now we wait and we pray. And in that waiting and praying, I am drawn to these words in our text this morning. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Surely this church needs that spirit now. Surely the church needs guidance now. And insofar as the challenges besetting Synod this week are symptomatic of a wider cultural malaise, surely we all need a fresh outpouring of the spirit of truth. How else will we find our way through the murkiness of these times? How else will we find our way to clarity, to unity? Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Truth. It's a word that occurs over and over in John's gospel. From the prologue, where John introduces Jesus as the word made flesh, dwelling among us, coming from the Father, full of grace and truth. Truth is a thematic motif that surfaces again and again, building from Jesus' glorious incarnation at the to the moment wherein he stands, stripped and beaten before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate asks the question, excuse me, that has resounded through the centuries. What is truth? Pilate, the patron saint of philosophers, cynics, and skeptics. What is truth? How would you answer Pilate's question? What kind of knowledge does truth traffic in? Facts? Experience? Revelation? How do you know what you know? And why do you trust it to be true? Who do you trust to guide you into truth? Blaise Pascal, Catholic theologian after the Reformation, once said that truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Those words are almost 400 years old. Almost feels prophetic to our times. 
Although I suppose it's possible that we are not as unique as we feel and all times are beset with an obscurity of truth. Unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. In the Gospel of John, truth is multifaceted. It's not just propositional. It's not just rationalistic. It's something like the core reality of the universe, the best and most true of all that is true. It's truth that cannot be contained in a document, in words, in a report. In fact, John introduces us to truth as a person, the word made flesh. Truth is Jesus who himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The embodiment of eternal truth is found in God himself, the core reality of the universe, and is made known in the person of Jesus. The same Jesus who stands before Pilate. It's a scene full of irony. Unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. And so whatever we claim as truth, it ought to look like Jesus. Conviction and compassion and costly self-giving love. Our text this morning is part of the upper room discourse. The part of John's gospel before the cross, before the betrayal and arrest, where time slows down and we listen in on Jesus' words to his disciples. It's really beautiful, intimate conversation. These words are overwhelmingly words of comfort and assurance as Jesus prepares his closest friends for what's to come. And Jesus has much to say about the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate, and here, the spirit of truth. Jesus is leaving, but truth is not. Truth remains personified with us in the Holy Spirit who guides us back to Jesus, back to the word of truth, lived as a human life. Because in John's gospel, truth is just that. It is lived and fleshed, not just in Jesus, but also in who we are and what we do in lives that become holy. In John 17, Jesus will pray for his disciples. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Truth is not just propositional, not just intellectual. It can't be compartmentalized. If we know the truth, if we know the truth, we know a wind of freedom that ought to blow through our everyday lives and change who we are. There is a phrase that Mo and I keep coming back to in our marriage. In moments of challenge and especially in difficult decisions, we have found ourselves, I don't even know where we got this, but we have found ourselves pausing to say, if we believe what we say we believe, then blank. If we believe what we say we believe, then. 
For us, that exercise has led to hard but good things like sharing our home with most parents for years and staying in our neighborhood despite disinvestment and spikes in violence and honestly envy of people who live in comfy suburbs. There's no voice from on high. There's no writing on the wall. Sometimes there are just quiet tears. When I recognize the congruence between my cognitive faith and the next step that lies in front of me. Tears because I suddenly have more clarity on what comes next and it's not the easy road. But tears too because I'm grateful for what feels like guidance and I feel a sense of peace that stepping forward will lead to something good. If we believe what we say we believe. As Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. There's something beautiful about the first verse in our text, if you take a look at it, verse 12, about the thought of Jesus wanting to say more, but recognizing the limited capacity of his friends. Overwhelmed by grief, anxiety, confusion. I feel like we've learned a lot about recognizing our limited capacity in the past couple years. More, the more he wanted to say to them would be more than they could bear more than they could comprehend. And so Jesus promises the spirit, the spirit of truth through whom Jesus, crucified, risen, ascended, and glorified, is still speaking to the church. Jesus says he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. Through the Spirit, Jesus is still speaking to the church, calling disciples together from all walks of life, teaching them to obey his commands, leading them into love, leading them to the cross. Through the Spirit, Jesus says to the church, I am with you always. Through the Spirit, Jesus is still guiding us to truth, to himself and to the Father. Today is Trinity Sunday. I feel like I've preached Trinity Sunday before. I always get the thick one. The week when we pause after rehearsing the salvation story from Advent to Pentecost. The week when we pause to recognize the God that is revealed in that story. One God in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And all three members of the Trinity are here in our passage today. The Father gives everything to the Son, it says. And the Son gives everything to the Spirit. And the Spirit, in turn, glorifies the Son and the Father. So here we catch a glimpse of the Trinitarian community of mutual love. We see how, in the words of Todd Hunter... Each member of the Trinity lovingly admires, blesses, supports, empowers, inspires, and builds up the others. It's an invitation to us as well. This, according to our faith, is the core reality of the universe, the Holy Trinity. This 
is truth. Mystery, to be sure, but truth. A God whose character it is to love and give and honor. A God who is at once both one and three. Unity and diversity. A God who is wholly able to take the church at an impasse and do a new thing. One more thing. I feel like this is the part where I say, are you still with me? (laughs) When John says that Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth, he is likely hearkening back to an Old Testament formula where God is revealed as Yahweh, God of steadfast love, chesed, and faithfulness, emet. It's the same word translated elsewhere as truth, emet. God is the God of chesed and emet, of grace and truth. But it's worth noting that in the Old Testament narrative, go back to Bible study class, that truth, that steady faithfulness of God, that character at the core of all things, is set against the backdrop of Israel's mess. The story of Old Testament, the story of Israel's mess and God's faithfulness. Israel is often stiff-necked and wayward. Israel wrestles with God. But God is full of grace and truth. The story of the church through the ages is not all that different. It's a story of stubbornness and splits, messes, and misunderstandings. The church is deeply human. By God's design, the church is deeply human and deeply flawed. But God is full of grace and truth. And as we've seen in Acts the past few weeks, God can take even visions and chance encounters, earthquakes and shipwrecks, councils and conflicts, and use them to move the church in the right direction. As the old Spanish song says, the Holy Spirit will build the church. Mess and all. So there are no simple answers for our denomination. We don't know how this week is going to end up. And there are likely no simple answers for wherever you find yourself longing for guidance and truth. But we have the assurance that we are not left to our own devices. Come what may, truth is still a person, alive among us through the Spirit, still speaking through word and through each other, still guiding, still surprising. May we, in humility, listen well. Amen.